Fans, welcome back for episode 186 of the Working Fans Podcast. Today, myself and AJ Strange Brew will not only be talking 1988, but we are going to start off by talking the AEW Revolution pay-per-view card, which is surprisingly this Sunday. This Sunday? Live on Bleacher Report? That sounds amazing. So, AJ, first match I have up on this card, No Holds Barred's match, Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. I haven't been watching TV, so I was very surprised by this match. What do you think about it? When I think of blood and guts and I think of just no-holds-barred action, I think Christian Cage. This match has got all the details one could hope for. We've got the young, talented and some would say pretty jungle boy going up against the wily veteran Christian Cage. This this match is going to suck. They're finally finishing this feud. We had the cage match with Luchasaurus back at full gear. I mean, they're doing long-term storytelling, but I had forgotten that this feud was still going on. I don't think this was going to be a long-time story. I think if Christian Cage doesn't injure his elbow in the middle of the year and is out for five months, I don't think this goes long-term. This would have been over about five months ago. All right, I got Jungle Boy winning this. Who do you got? Absolutely, Jungle Boy all the way. How How can you go with Christian Cage at this point? All right. Next up, AEW Trios Championship, the Elite versus House of Black. Once again, I haven't been watching for like the last three weeks, so I didn't know they were building to a feud with these two. It's got to be the Elite. I don't see House of Black taking it off of them. Well, you wouldn't know about the buildup because they didn't start building it until two weeks ago. So that's, uh, and don't get me wrong, if you're going to build up for a big pay-per-view match, you never want to start before two weeks out. I mean, you really want to draw the fans in and you can't do that without a long-term build like two weeks of pure action. Yes. Now, if you're watching this YouTube, Facebook, let us know in the comments which match you are most excited for. Do you have the Elite or House of Black? Yeah, the Elite's going over. Um, House of Black, they haven't built up enough. It's a shame, too, because in in a true trios match, I would love to see House of Black actually get the push here because the Elite doesn't need it. And at the end of the day, it would be much better for House of Black. Yes, now, AEW Women's Championship, Jamie Hayter versus Soraya versus Ruby Soho. What's your level of excitement for this match? I I actually am a big fan of two of the three people in here. I think that Jamie Hayter is fantastic. They've done nothing to build her up since becoming the champ. She was on fire. That's why they made her the champion. They've done nothing to build her since then. They've made her a secondary player in this storyline. And then you have Ruby Riot, who is finally getting a push, but they did their best to bury her beforehand. And then Soraya, who I loved as Paige, but is not that wrestler anymore. When I watch Soraya, my only thought now is is, my God, I hope she doesn't break her neck. And so for me, I'm going for Jamie Hayter, but they've done a horrible job of building this match. Yeah, I've got Soraya. I feel like this is Tony feels like the money is putting it on her. I mean, I was surprised to see this go to a triple threat match, but at least we're getting three ladies on the show. I I don't even think she's been a good heel. She was getting more heel heat as a babyface. Yes, now the next matchup, Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks. Jericho Appreciation Society not allowed at ringside. This feels like a dynamite match or a pre-show match, hopefully. But 
What do you think about this? I, once I can't it, believe one, this made it on the pay-per-view. So once again, I think the major problem that people have had over the last year, year and a half with Tony Khan and AEW is they're just not doing a good job of building up storylines. Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho is a match that if built correctly could actually steal the show. And they have not built it well enough, for, in my opinion, on this match. They've given them time but they just have not built it in the way that I would like to see it. And I love Ricky Stark. I think that Chris Jericho is one of the greatest of all time, but I have no interest right now in this match. Yeah, who do you see winning this? Ricky Starks. Oh, wow. I I see Jericho taking it. I don't see him getting on a pay-per-view with. I would have went. Now, next up, AEW TNT Championship match. Samoa Joe versus Wardlow. And this feels like about equal level of excitement to me as the Jericho Starks match. I thought this was a feud that they had done away with. You know, I thought we were over it by this point, but here we are with another chapter in well, the fact of the matter is now at least we know why Wardlow got a haircut. And now that they've brought that to light in the last week and a half, we can really get behind Wardlow in his going after the TNT championship. I think Wardlow's going to get the belt back, but I have no interest in this match at all. Me too. I think Wardlow's going to win it. And then Samoa Joe is going to go on to be a part of Ring of Honor, hopefully. Now we're down to the last three matches on the card. Texas death match. John Moxley versus Adam Page. And I I feel the same way about a lot of matches on this card. Like, I'm going to watch the pay-per-view. I'm always excited for an AEW pay-per-view. But Moxley versus Page again, I feel like it's going to be a good match. But it's going to be a forgettable good match with Moxley getting the win. A lot of these matches are just rehashed from other things. Ricky Starks, Chris Jericho, rehashed. Moxley versus the Cowboy, rehashed. Yes, I know they've been telling a story between the two of them, but every time they tell the story with that match, they keep saying, this is the match to really blow it off. This is the final contest. We're finally going to get this. And every time they find a way to have another match between the two of them. I'm not behind emotionally the Cowboy. He did not, to me, they didn't do a great job of building him as an underdog or the concussion or or any of that to me to enough to actually make me give a shit. This is a match that, unfortunately, even though they're both great performers, I don't care. Yeah, who do you see winning it? I think Moxley goes over. Wow. Now, talking about rehashed, I got a couple brownies in my fridge that I'm waiting to get at. Second to last match, AEW Tag Team Championship match, The Acclaimed versus The Guns versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett versus Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen. And I've been critical about a lot of this card, and I wouldn't say the teams in this match are necessarily the best teams in AEW. But I'm looking forward to this match. I actually agree with you 100%. This is one of the matches I'm looking forward to. I think we're finally going to get a Billy Gunn actual heel turn here, even though they did it in a ridiculous manner a few months ago and then turned it right back around. I think this time he's actually going to side with his sons. And I believe the gun club with their heel heat is going to actually stay as the champs. Wow. I see the acclaimed getting it back, but... That's just me. It's kind of up in the air. I mean, I don't think Lethal and Jarrett or Cassidy and Danhausen have much of a chance, but it'll be interesting to see how the team of Cassidy and Danhausen does on a bigger stage. Joe, I'm going to give you a little side note here. This is an interesting little fact that I found out this week. I happen to listen to, and this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but I listened to the Boy Meets World podcast with Danielle Fischel and Ryder Strong and um, Will Friedle, who, by the way, is from Connecticut. But the three of them, 
they have a respect for wrestling because they had wrestlers on the show, stuff of that nature. I found out this week that late in life, the Daniel Fischel, who plays Topanga, has become a wrestling fan and is actually a big fan of and friends with the Acclaim. Wow. Just now, a little I, little side note that has no meaning, but a little fun thing. Yes, AJ, I just sent you the notes for today's segment, which I just remembered I hadn't done yet. 60-minute Iron Man match well, set- for the AEW Championship. MJF versus Brian Danielson. Where are you with this match? Because I think it's going to be a good match, but I'm worried that it's going to expose MJF as lesser of a wrestler than we perceive him to be have we seen mjf go past 15 minutes no not that i'm aware of and not in like if he has it's been heavy on the stalling and the other stuff and when i say exposing mjf i'm not saying he's a bad wrestler but i think like what you're alluding at we haven't seen him go the long haul and we haven't seen him go the long haul with a technical master he's good but is he good enough to make a 60-minute Iron Man match work. The good news is if there's anybody who can help him get through 60 minutes and get to where he needs to get to, he's going to be in the ring with him. 100%. Now, who do you got winning this match? You know, it seems obvious to me that Brian Danielson would win this one. However, I'm actually going to go the other way. I think you need, in order to keep MJF's credibility, I think you need MJF to win this match. Wow. Well, next week when Dave is back, we will review our picks but so far you and i only disagreed on two matches oh dave actually i he sent me his picks i don't know if you're aware of this he sent me his picks. i am not aware of this i think dave's Um, surprised right now about this himself well i asked him about the big matches like you know brian danielson and stuff of that nature with mjf he said he doesn't care he said as long as jungle boy goes over christian cage and exposes christian cage as being over the hill he's happy as can be that and he wants to see samoa joe over wardlow those are the only two matches he cares about right now dave is throwing butter loaves in the back of the bread truck just cursing up a storm he also and defend his man christian's honor Well, he also shared with me, speaking of the next segment, he shared with me his heartbreak this weekend of being away. 1988, I happen to know, man called Dave's favorite year in wrestling. Holy shit. He's been on the side of the camera for the show. And these commercials, I see AJ, you're on the phone. I will stall. No, 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 no. You don't have to stall. You don't. No, no, you don't have to stall. It's actually Dave on the phone. He told me, he said, the only thing that matters in wrestling is 1988. He's the only one who was actually alive on this podcast during that time period. And he tells me stories all the time that it's his favorite year in the best Royal Rumble of all time. Thank you, Dave. We'll see you soon, buddy. The only reason he was alive was because... AJ was busy having kids then. He was already locked down. Now, Dave is going to love this this week because he's basically getting hit with his arms tied behind his back. I usually make up these notes, you know, for Dave, and now I'm reading them off this week. So this is a little bit of a change of pace. So forgive me while I don't stare at the screen, but January 24th in night, WWF holds the first Royal Rumble. It's the only year the event was on the USA Network. Hacksaw Jim Duggan won. 
Were, did you watch this, AJ? I did. I oh, saw man. it when it actually happened. Hacksaw Jim Duggan went over in this. People forget how big and how close on the cusp Jim Duggan was to being a megastar at that time period. If he didn't have that slip up with the Iron Sheik and get caught with all that cocaine, allegedly, he probably would have had a mu- even larger push in the 80s. We found a theme between 19 from 1985 up until now. WWF is acquiring territories. They're expanding. Ending. On February 5th, they debuted the main event on NBC as a spinoff to Saturday night's main event. Andre the Giant defeated Hulk Hogan to win the WWF championship in controversial fashion and then sold the belt to Ted DiBiase. Well, the great thing about that match, and that is obviously a changer in WWE to have Hulk Hogan finally go down. But the great thing about that match is it also introduced us to Earl Hebner. Where before that, Earl Hebner was just an obscure referee in the NWA. But to find out that he was this maniacal twin brother of Dave Hebner. Really the biggest storyline of 1988. Yes, it was. Now, if you enjoyed on the Working Fans podcast, hit that like button. If you want to subscribe, you can stay up to date with this show when we come each week on YouTube, usually Friday at 12.05. If you don't subscribe, here's what you'll be missing out on. First of all, you're going to miss out on Dave coming back next week and backing up everything that I've said so far about his love of 1988 and Jungle Boy. Secondly, you won't find more more passionate fans about professional wrestling who are happy to take your ideas and then debate them with you. So subscribe, tune in, and show us some love. 100%. Dave's YouTube shorts coming out daily. We've got different videos coming out. I am actually premiering a Control Your Narrative video later today. As I sought out more Control Your Narrative on YouTube. And while I'm still very critical of the pro, they did five things really well. You're going to have to watch that video to find out. But March 7th, Harley Race injures himself in a match against Hulk Hogan that would air that weekend on Saturday night's main event. Yeah, Harley actually injured himself. Harley actually injured himself doing a diving headbutt onto a table where he actually, the table did not break and he physically damaged spine, his spinal column. And it would end up shortening Harley Race's career. And so it was really a tragic event, to be honest with you, even though he did wrestle a little bit longer before getting help. Yeah, and it's amazing that that flying headbutt would last so long in the pro wrestling industry with, you know, I'm sure there were incidents outside of this. But if you look at this, Chris Benoit, those are two big reasons to take it out of the game other than just our knowledge of head injuries nowadays but even if you look back one of the other people is dynamite kid dynamite kid spent the majority of the rest of his life in a wheelchair and living a very poor quality of life due to the fact that one of his main moves was that flying headbutt the only difference with the dynamite kid and it's one thing that i've found almost insane about him is he would not have changed a thing whereas i think harley race might have been happy to but I mean, I like to think Benoit wouldn't have killed his family if he um, didn't do the headbutts. Yeah, it definitely contributed to it. And it's one of those things you've you've got those different personalities in wrestling. The ones that he can learn and kind of learn from their mistakes. And then the other ones that just kind of go head into it, like the Dynamite Kid. Well, I think the other major difference. Jim Crockett presented the first Clash of the Champions on TBS in Greensboro, North Carolina. Ric Flair defended his NWA world title against Sting in a 45-minute draw. 
Clash of the Champions was one of my favorite events as a kid. This is one of the really big events in wrestling for multiple reasons. 1988 is the year that Turner Broadcasting takes over WCW, and I'm sure we'll talk about that separately. But this was one of those events that really made WCW, NWA, whichever variation you like, into what it was. And it built Sting into the icon that he became because it showed that he could stand on the same level. Similar to what we talked about earlier in the program with MJF and Daniel. Brian and when Brian Danielson people had doubts whether or not Sting this muscle guy from California could do the time that needed to be done to wrestle with Ric Flair and Sting went out and he showed what he was capable of keeping up with him for 45 minutes and an era where very few people could do that with Ric Flair very true now what do you feel about the comparisons with AEW's Battle of the Belts being like a Clash of the Champions like idea I mean, I, it is to a point. The difference is, and this is my problem, is... Only because it's free on TV. Well, yeah, I was going to say, we have such a high quality of wrestling all the time now. you got to remember, when we had WCW's Clash of the Champions, that was like getting a super event... Super- in one night that was just great wrestling all put together now that wrestling that we get in wc that we had in clash of the champions is like if we have monday night raw or aew dynamite but aew battle of the belts those things feel like they're almost they're booked more boring than a dark or a dark elevation they feel thrown together at the last minute yeah. rarely do i feel like the matches that take place on them are must see and that's why, like, whenever I've heard it compared to Clash of the Champions, I've always found it oh, to be... a joke. Yes. Now, April That's... 22nd and 23rd, the third and what would be final until 2019, NWA Crockett Cup is held. I think as old-time wrestling fans, all of us were excited to see the Crockett Cup make a return a few years ago. And it was one of the places where the Briscoes really shined in late. What did you think about the Crockett Cup then, and how do you feel about it now? Well, I think we were all fans of the Crockett Cup. Once again, we talk about being able to see things you don't normally get to see in professional wrestling. That's what makes a show. If you have a show where you've seen everything before, how excited are you going to be? With the Crockett Cup, you saw things that you would never actually normally see You saw people competing against each other that you wouldn't normally see competing against each other because it was tournament style. It it, it was just all around a much funner card. And I loved seeing it back in 2019 because it brought back childhood memories and brought back why we loved the NWA. Well, at least people that were alive like Dave did. Definitely. Now, I want to shout out former guests of the show, Kylon King and Dustin Waller, who defeated Violences Forever this past Sunday at Beyond Wrestling in Worcester and captured the IWTV Tag Team Championships, two young stars that we are happy to see break out, and the Miracle Generation, it's just starting for them this year. It's great to see more wrestlers getting the rub from the working fans. I mean, anything that we can do to really help push these guys along and get them the championships they deserve, it's fantastic. Now, in June of 1988, the first show debuts, originally part of Wrestling Challenge, moving on to Superstars of Wrestling. Mainly notable because, I mean, it's Bruce Pritchard, 
It eventually debuted The Undertaker. I kind of like these older interview type shows that the WWE had, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite part of the show. I look back on it with nostalgia, but I don't know if I'd, you know, look it up on YouTube and rewatch anything. It was a good way to get over talent. It definitely was. And it's something that we look back on. I think sometimes with rose colored glasses, we forget that for every one great addition they had, that they had usually about six of them in a row where we'd be like, oh my God, why am I watching? this but nostalgia will do that to you it is the second biggest thing in june of 1988 as it was also a young aj strange Bruce's 12th birthday wow now we're going from births to deaths july 17th bruiser brody is stabbed in the shower in puerto rico by jose gonzalez invader one this to me is something that affected my childhood i was a bruiser brody fan i remember when this happened i remember finding out when this happened and how heartbroken i was how it affected the wrestling world because bruiser brody was one of those people who we thought was untouchable he was a larger than life character and quite frankly he was killed in one of the most cowardice ways humanly possible hiding a knife underneath a towel allegedly and it's just ridiculous and I, I think that there was even piss happened. on that knife too to make the infection nasty too it, exactly it, it was just really one of the most cowardice ways if you're gonna kill somebody and i'm not saying you should go out and kill somebody but if you're gonna kill somebody at least have the balls to do it face to face and freaking fight them like a man AJ, we're getting a text here from Dave. He said that was also around the time that AJ gained a healthy distrust of Puerto Ricans. I, I don't know what that means. August 29th, 1988, the first SummerSlam pay-per-view. is. I would like to point out that I love Puerto Ricans. There's only one I don't trust. <laughs> that was that was purely a joke. But no, I know. First summer. I know. I like that we have to explain the joke. I think it was Pat Oates a couple of weeks ago that – yeah if, we, yeah, if we don't explain it, unfortunately, we might get canceled next week. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll try. Now, WWE expanding more in 1988. First SummerSlam pay-per-view is held. So you've got the creation of the Royal Rumble and SummerSlam in the same year. Two of the matches that really went on to form the big four of WWE's calendar. Of the big four pay-per-views, which do you think – rank them in order, actually. I mean – this is tough because to me personally, my favorite one is the Royal Rumble generally. But uh, WrestleMania is obviously their flagship. It's number one. To me, I don't know if they look at it this way, but Royal Rumble number two, SummerSlam number three, and then um, obviously Survivor Series in the number four spot. I would but go I with same order because it's not like that any of the pay-per-views are less than, but it's on their upper level. Obviously, WrestleMania has got to be the biggest one. Royal Rumble has that match every year that sets up the road to WrestleMania, so it makes that exciting. Then you've got... SummerSlam, which is kind of like the mid-year big card. And then in prior years, Survivor Series was like the five-on-five -five teams, which I always enjoyed. But it's that end-of-the-year show. Hopefully now we'll have War Games be featured as a part of it. To be honest with you, I to think honest, WWE actually doesn't look at it that way. I think that they look at it WrestleMania, then SummerSlam. Hence, that's why they put SummerSlam in places like Los Angeles, stuff of that nature, big venues, because they look at that as their number two. And then I think and that they, always um, get they the go sponsorships from it too. Exactly. And then I think Royal Rumble is just basically the build up to WrestleMania form. So that's their number three. And then Survivor Series is how they look at it. Yes. Now I've got two last points here for you. November. 
remember you mentioned it earlier jim crockett promotions is purchased by ted turner and renamed world championship wrestling yeah and this was a big thing that happened because it gave an influx of cash into a promotion that unfortunately misspent their cash on things like private airplanes to fly their wrestlers buy in territories like us uh, not uswa the bleh, why am i going stupid here for a second uws yeah, oh, well, they bought UWF from Bill Watts, but they didn't buy it at a time where it was good. They bought it at a time period where it was literally dying. So they way overspent on that. But to have Ted Turner's backing, who was a legitimate billionaire and had a love of wrestling, definitely helped and gave him that huge influx of cash. Yes, and the last thing I've got on my list here, November 7th, Titan Sports holds its first ever non-wrestling pay-per-view with a boxing match between Sugar Ray Leonard and Donnie Lalonde. It probably, I don't believe it would be their last non-wrestling pay-per-view, but it's one of those things where, once again, Vince McMahon is trying to, expand out into the entertainment industry at that point yeah that almost went as well as the iwbf the um, world wrestling bodybuilding federation i think that um, between the two of them they really brought in a couple of huge cash days yes now aj if you want to get to that list i gave you and then absolutely we will so wrap I, up on some special a special wrestling report for so i've got the birthdays of 1988 and in a battle of complete letdowns of second generation superstars Stars. We've got Reed Flair born on February 26th, and then also Brooke Hogan born on May 5th. One of them still alive. Both of them were basically a waste of space. We've got Saint, uh, allegedly, sorry, on May 22nd. I mean, their careers are dead, to be fair. Absolutely. On May 22nd, we did have Santana Garrett, who ended up being one of the great wrestlers. We've got Mark Haskins. We've got Marty Skrull, who now can work at uh, 7-Eleven with his reputation. We've got Zia Lee, who is um, still a tremendous superstar for the WWE, no matter what they try to do with her gimmick. We've got Shane Mercer, Athena, who's doing very well. And now, speaking of tremendous deaths like Reed Flair, we've got Adrian Adonis, who passed away July 4th of that year in a car accident. Obviously, we talked about the murder of Bruiser Brody. So in the same month, we actually lost Adrian Adonis and Bruiser Brody as he died on July 17th. August 9th, we lost Mike Sharp Sr. And I know what you're thinking. If only we had lost Mike Sharp earlier, Jr., we might not have had to watch his matches. And then we also lost legendary promoter Leroy McGurk. Now, Leroy McGurk is the person who had a lot to do with the upbringing of good old Jim Ross in wrestling. Between Bill Watts and Leroy McGurk, he really learned a lot of what he learned about professional wrestler wrestling, and it was absolutely incredible. I do have a few more notes here for you real quick, Producer Joe. Before um, we get into that, I want to okay. ask about Santana Garrett. She is one of the great ladies wrestlers that doesn't hasn't been featured in a major company yet, and I think she would... She's been on AEW, but I think she would serve that women's division greatly if she made it there. Well, the funny thing is Santana Garrett has actually worked as a producer in multiple organizations. She's been responsible for a lot of the coaching and styles that you see throughout the WWE and what you see in AEW and a lot of women's wrestling. And her style is absolutely incredible. I don't know what it is that she is lacking because I always thought she did have a little bit of the that it factor, but she just has 
has not been able to get to that next step. Hopefully she will get that chance at some point as she is still fairly young. I mean, being born in 1988, you are 35 years old. So it does allow you to still have a few years to really get there. But hopefully she'll get that push. Yeah, definitely. I think part of it too, God, I... I don't know what it is because it's like she's been featured on MLW. I think with ladies wrestling, they have such a small spot on like the national TV promotions that you don't necessarily want to gamble on somebody. Like if you're bringing in somebody, you want to bring in a star that's going to get eyes on that and maybe not necessarily someone you want to develop. But I think she is someone you should try and develop. Because it could take you to the next level. Well, to be honest with you, it's also a gamble for her to go to WWE or something of that nature. Because there's so much talent there, she's able to make a very good living on the independents right now because there's a, a tremendous amount of women's wrestling in the world. And because of the level that she's at, she is able to really go around the world and still work very regularly. Definitely. Now, we're going to finish up our 1988 discussion with some fan reactions All of these I pulled from the Mothership Facebook. I think that a lot of what you're going to hear about is Andre obviously beating Hogan and the twin referees. That's Paul Versillo's favorite fan memory. Then you have your NWA fans like Cordell Everett Jr. His favorite fan memory is the Great American Bash, which I remember this as being the last really good Great American Bash. So for me, I can definitely understand that. Um, You've got guys like Eric Flood who are sorry, Eric Ford, who actually has a great memory and shows the different regions you can grow up in wrestling. He remembers Eddie Gilbert really coming into his own and running rough shot on Memphis TV. Um, and the, he remembers the burning of Randy Hales, uh, which was an absolutely incredible angle. Yeah. I don't know if you know who Randy Hales is, but he was, uh, um, I believe the referee in Memphis and uh, Eddie Gilbert literally caught him on fire, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, there was a YouTube clip posted with that comment in the Mothership Facebook thread that that was. Um, then you have people like Jason Harland, who has fond memories of the final breaths of WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, and because they actually still had a great tag division down there. They had the Von Erich, the, fan, the Von Erichs, the Fantastics, the Freebirds, Jack Victory and John Tatum, Steve and Sean Simpson, the Simpson brothers, and they had the beginning of the Samoan SWAT team. That's a hell of a tag division. Uh, We have Chris Zaha. He just, and he's very clear. He says the clash, period. And I agree with him. That clash of champions is what set the bar. Um, The Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks, which I think we all remember from our childhood. That's, uh, we've got Peter Fusco, with the uh, warrior ending the honky talk man's title reign. And then I got one more really good one here for you. Um, we've got Savage becoming the WWF champion and Sting being made by Flair. And I actually agree with him. We remember that Sting was made in this time period, but we forget that Savage was really made in this time period also. Savage had switched from heel to face and was really made winning that tournament. And it would go on to suit him well for the rest of his career. Yes, very much so. So that was 1988. Next week, we will move on to 1989. As we've seen throughout the years, we've seen that steady progression with Vince expanding and then everything outside of that Vince sphere slowly, I'm not going to say slowly dying, but 
coming down from its prominence. Now, before we jump into our video that closes out every show, I want to talk briefly about Ring of Honor TV. They aired their first episode last night on Honor Club, and I watched part of it. The first match was Slim J versus Mark Briscoe. They put Mark Briscoe in the first match since his brother kicked off the first match of the regular. And I love the match. I like how it looks. It, the, they light up the arena interesting or Universal Studios. The first episode was a two-hour TV episode. And I don't know if that's how all their TV is going to go, but that lost a little bit of the luster for me. I was coming home from work. I wanted to watch Ring of Honor and then go to bed. I didn't realize it was going to be this long commitment. So I'm going to get back into it later because I'm interested in the TV coming back. But for me, two hours is way too long for an episode. The best thing that you can do if you're Ring of Honor is run a one-hour show. If you're going to learn anything from the NWA coming back before it started to um, fall apart is do the one-hour broadcast. That one-hour broadcast, you're going to hold people's attention. The people you put on your show, you're going to make special because they're in that one-hour block. You can focus on the storylines. It doesn't mean you have to have them every week, the same people do. Because you have a roster there, if you rotate every other week bringing people in and showcasing them, you're going to have an opportunity to really make the product um, special. And I agree with you with the lighting. To me, the lighting was a little off, too. Um, for me, on Ring of Honor, I want to, I want it to feel gritty. That's the, I want to feel like this is wrestling. We're focusing on the wrestling. Let's treat this like it's what it's supposed to be. And having that one-hour show, having um, the proper lighting for it, and really focusing on the wrestling is what Ring of Honor is all about. I mean, you've combated what JR always complained about with the lighting. It looks decent in Universal Studios, but it's... I'm I'm gonna wait a couple weeks to like really reserve judgment for it to see how it is. I know they tape it in batches, so as far as like if they make any changes to the set, that could be a month down the line. I was really excited to see Riccaboni and Caprice Coleman come back. I thought Ian Riccaboni did great. New Japan battle in the Valley card. He's one of my more favorite announcers out there, and it's just good to hear him back in a Ring of Honor environment. I like both of them. They play off each other well. Caprice Coleman is a legitimately uh, very good wrestler. He's borderline great wrestler, uh, and he brings a lot of knowledge to the product. And he's the two of them together are very entertaining. So uh, they they stuck with the right team. One hundred percent. And speaking of legitimate, how about the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume Two? Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, the, the Pro, Pro Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives. 